Hey guys, you're listening to episode 16 of the Finish Line Podcast, where we discuss the intersection of faith, generosity, and personal finance. Today, we'll be sitting down with Sean Conlon, a successful entrepreneur who has taken big steps to answer God's call for his life. Welcome to the show. My name is Cody Hoblin, and I'm here with my co-host and brother Keelan. On today's episode, we'll be diving into Sean's story and some of the things he's learned along the way as an entrepreneur. He started multiple successful companies throughout his career and recently launched the Pause for Love Tour, which we'll discuss more on the show. He and his wife, Christina, both have a heart for generosity and showing love through their dog, Nash. We can't wait for you to hear more. All right, so we're here today with Sean Conlin, and he's joining us from his RV where he's living at the moment <laughs> with his wife, Christina, and his dog, Nash. We're really excited to have you here, Sean, and hear a little bit more about your story and share some of the things that you've gone through to get you to where you are today. So do you mind just starting us off with a little bit of background? Absolutely. Uh, and first, I would like to thank you for having me on here. And second, just love the work that you guys are doing. I think we need more you know, outspoken kingdom building conversations happening in the business world and specifically around finance too. So, you know, thank you for everything that you guys are doing here and thanks for having me on. My background is one of following more of a traditional route of here's what you're supposed to do from going to college to getting a job that is safe and secure. So I started at Indiana University in the accounting and finance world and was going to go out and be a CPA and pursue that as a career path. And while that was great, and I did actually enjoy it for a period of time, I really realized when I got into the real world that it didn't quite match my personality and ultimately my more of my skill set, what, what I'm really here on this earth to do. Um, and that's really to be more of a visionary, to be kind of the 30,000 foot thinker and trying to think of new crazy ways to do things. And um, that unfulfilled nature within me as I was getting into the real world really set me down the path of entrepreneurship. And once I got into that and started my first business, I was instantly hooked. I mean, just the energy that all the entrepreneurs listening know exactly what I'm talking about, but the, just from the ideation of sitting around and thinking of anything being possible to then taking those next steps and taking the idea bringing it down to the ground, making it a reality, and then turning it into a living, breathing thing as a company with real people that are doing things and processes that are happening and product that's going out the door and consumers that you're making happy. It just, it's so addicting. So that, that caused me to do three different companies, all in three different spaces. And the first one was in large format digital printing. So basically anything on a 16 foot wide printer that you could feed through it we would print. So avenue banners for schools, wall murals for schools, all kinds of stuff that just helped beautify a campus. So focused predominantly on K through 12 schools. And then the second company was a subscription e-commerce company that was in the pet industry. And so we basically took what was Birchbox at the time, still is, but that whole concept of a monthly subscription. And we tweaked it a little bit and allowed people to pick and choose what went in that monthly shipment. And then we would just deliver that product to them once a month. And it was just this awesome 
gift box that was delivered to their dog and they would pose their dog next to the box and take pictures and put them online. It was just, it was so cool. And that ended up going well for a couple of years there. And then the third company in my last company was a, is still a wedding venue company that has several locations across the U S and basically we, we took a antiquated industry and gave the consumers a product that they had been asking for, which was, Hey, let me rent your space for 24 hours and let me bring in all my own vendors. So I'm not getting overcharged on X, Y, and Z. And let me just have a really good time with a wedding and make the pictures look amazing. Cause I want to share them all over social media and either make my friends jealous or make them feel like they were there, whatever <laughs> your, your cup of tea is and ended up, you know, doing really well with that business. And from there, just, you know, really started seeing what my purpose on earth was, which I'm sure we'll get into today, but that's kind of the the brutal irony is I've been an entrepreneur my whole life, but I feel like just as about a year ago, my life is just now starting. Yeah, that's so cool. And we actually met back in 2014, if you remember, yep. at a conference around entrepreneurship. Yeah, with Concero. And you kind of are living that and and I never did. So <laughs> <laughs> it's really enjoyable to hear your stories and and kind of unwrap that a little bit. But can, can you share just a couple lessons that you've learned through the process of building companies that have kind of set you up to, to take on some of the things that you're doing now? Yeah. So I think one of the first ones, which in reflection and even how I'm going to say it sounds so obvious and so elementary, but when you're in the thick of it, especially as an early entrepreneur and you're just living off that adrenaline and the anything's possible and um, everybody wants to help me because this idea is so fantastic. You know, we, we've all been there and we all continue to go there and it's great. And you have to, because I believe if you're not there, odds are that you're probably not going to make it because you won't have the passion to endure what it actually takes to, to build a legitimate company that is producing, you know, great employees, great people, great product, and it's sustainable. But all of that said, the biggest thing that changed my life was finally finding an actual operating system that the business could run on that I didn't have to worry about if my management skill or ability was good enough. And I continued to try to be somebody I wasn't because I'm a visionary. I'm not into the details and I'm not a great manager at all. And I tried to fit every single box because I thought at that time that as an entrepreneur, I have to be everything and I have to be good at everything because if I'm not, there's no way this thing's going to succeed. And that's the irony is like, that's such a self-centered view on what entrepreneurship is. And it was more of a, I'm going to play football and I'm going to be all 11 players at the same time, which is literally impossible. So I just wanted to shake my early entrepreneur self and say, Hey, you can't do this on your own. And you're crazy to think that you can, and you need a way to run this business that is not going to run you and it's not going to cause burnout. And it's not going to, you know, just totally railroad everything in your life and make that the center of attention instead of what we know the priority to be, which is God. God has to be at the center of it. It's not just our marriages or our personal life. It's our businesses. And if he's not at the center of that, then it's it's going to control you more than what you ever think that it will. And it's hard to control that element of it. The, uh, the second thing would be that if you are not maniacally focused on what the unit economics of scale can be with that business and that business model, and you don't truly understand the financial aspects of the business model, 
your degree of success or probability of success is going to be very, very low because it's the same thing going back to the comment about that energy and just the raw adrenaline that you're running off of as an entrepreneur. It can be really easy to overlook those things and you could miss a very critical detail that, oh, this actually probably won't scale the way that I think it's going to because we're going to hit some ceiling here that's going to be near impossible to break through. And in one of my businesses, that happened. And that was with Petbox, with the subscription e-commerce company. It was the gross margin on the product was not enough to sustain how much we had to start spending to acquire customers, to keep them around on this monthly subscription. And our retention rates were great and they were very high. But at the end of the day, if you're shelling out you know, $85 to acquire a customer and they're only giving you 25 on the front end and you only have a 15% gross margin, that business is not, I mean, unless you're having perpetual funding or it's just a, a loss leader for another really valuable high margin part of your business, it's not going to be sustainable. And that was, you know, my biggest lesson there was uh, that point number two there is like, if you don't truly understand those unit economics, you're going to get stopped in your tracks faster than you can get started. We were talking before the show about some of these businesses you've started and one of the things that stood out to me is how you have a constant desire to incorporate your faith and your purpose as a Christian into your businesses very explicitly. And I was hoping you could share a little bit about what that looked like for some of these businesses you started. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll, we'll kind of go back to, let's look at the fundamentals of a certain business and see how we can apply that. And let's look at the wedding venue business. So when you look at that as a business model, there's multiple ways to break it down in terms of how you're engaging with that consumer and what level of service you're providing. So with some wedding venues, they're all inclusive. So you basically go to them. We'll just use the average wedding, which nowadays is about $36,000. So I'm going to walk in the doors. I'm going to give you a check for thirty six grand, and you're going to give me a wedding as a product. So you're going to do the catering. You're going to do the flowers. You're going to have table covers on there for me. You're going to bring the chairs, you know, all the things that go into a wedding. The other way to do it, and there's, there's about three ways. So that's way one. Way two is you can have some flexibility in there and you can have, uh, let's say maybe a list of preferred vendors. So here's three caterers that you can choose from, choose from any of the three, but you can't bring anyone else in. So you do have a little bit of flexibility, but you're still beholden to the preferred list. And then our business model which is we just want you to pay us for a 24-hour rental of our building and we want to make sure that you don't damage it or <laughs> alter the building in any way and that it's legal. But outside of that, you bring in all your own vendors. You want to have donuts for your dessert bar? Amazing. Bring them in. You want to have $50,000 floral installation hanging from the ceiling so that it looks ridiculously amazing on Instagram? Do it. We don't care. Whatever floats your boat. And that's what was really cool is you could have somebody literally coming in and spending over a hundred grand, which we had quite often, you could have somebody coming in spending between like 15 and $18,000 and still have, you know, roughly about a hundred people there. So it is a product that fits a wide range of people. But here's the thing. When you look at that business model, you're like, okay, this is great. I can provide value for people and I can give them a beautiful building and a safe space to gather and just, overall, a very positive experience on a very amazing day of their life. But let's look at that same business model and say, okay, if we're building the kingdom and we're trying to find ways to engage with people um, who maybe have heard of Christ or haven't, 
what's another unique way that we can do so with that particular customer segment? You could look at it and say, well, let's let's put picture frames all along the space that have Bible verses on them. Or, you know, let's do X, Y, or Z, play music when they're coming into tour that's Christian music. You know, you could do all that. Though all those things are great. But if you're really trying to impact somebody one-on-one, what's a great way that you could do that? And so with weddings, they're not coming to you 12 to 18 months ahead of time to say, hey, going back to the average, I'm going to give you a $36,000 check. And I know that I've got a 50% chance of being divorced in the next five years. And I'm okay with that. And man, I'm so excited. Let's do this thing. They're not doing that. They're over the moon with excitement. One of the best phases of their life is about to you know, start. And so you've got all that time. You've got them in a position where they're very impressionable because they don't know what they don't know around certain things. So let's say, let's add another service to the mix that can help give them something that's valuable, which is their time back and confidence and just the the ability to have the dream wedding that they've always wanted. So let's add coordination as a service. So now basically they can pay us an additional sum of money and we will coordinate the whole wedding. And so coordination really just is lining up the caterer, lining up, you know, vendor X, vendor Y, managing all the contracts that are involved with that, managing the timeline of, Hey, you need to be here at this certain time. You need to be here. Make sure that she's walking down the aisle at 11, 15 AM, you know, whatever the timing is, just take care of all those details. So the average wedding takes about 300 hours to plan. And if you can remove with coordination, let's say 275 hours, so they'll still have 25 hours of decision-making that they're going to have to do, but they're not doing any of the heavy lifting. Okay, now we have 275 hours that we just put back into their life. How can we use that? And so going the step further, what if we helped them with just premarital stuff that they're going to deal with and helping them set a good foundation for marriage and talking about some of the hard things that they may or may not have talked about yet? I don't know the statistics, but I know that not 100% of people do premarital counseling. And I don't know what it is in the Christian community versus the secular community. You know, I'm sure the, the percentages are vastly different. But if we can just have one interaction with somebody that can go down the path of some kind of premarital that may have some scripture element to it, and it, it was the thing where you know we'll provide non-religious, we'll say I'm doing air quotes right now, but non-religious premarital counseling. But then if people want to dive deeper and go see the truth of where marriage is rooted and why, you know, X, Y, and Z has happened from a biblical standpoint, they can do so. And if we have the opportunity to radically transform a marriage, which is no different than a business where it is a living, breathing thing, it's a unity of two people coming together for them to go impact the world, to then have more change makers be created, if you will. How amazing is that? And so just looking at a business model to see that, okay, this is a real estate business model. The end product is a wedding and here's how we add value X, Y, and Z. But then looking at it from that broader kingdom view is like, I have the opportunity to marry over a hundred people a year through this one location and then times seven. And some of those locations have a little bit more. So let's round it up and call it a thousand weddings a year that go through our doors to do that. I mean, what a radical way to actually build the kingdom and and find these amazing, incredible collision moments 
with these amazingly young and ambitious people that just want to go out and live an amazing, fruitful life. Yeah, my my wife, Steph, and I got married in 2018, and our officiant asked us to get premarital counseling. It was actually a requirement. And at the time, it was like, oh, how much is that going to cost? And and do we really need this? We've been together so long. But we did it, obviously. And we are so glad that we did. And I can't recommend it enough. So if you're listening and you're getting married soon or thinking about it, definitely look into premarital counseling. Can't recommend it enough. But Sean, I want to talk a little bit about goals. So entrepreneurship has all kinds of allure that I can relate to there's, you know, control over your time, your schedule, the path of the company, and really small chance of, of being successful and, and getting really, really wealthy in the process. And when you and I talked earlier, you mentioned that you had some pretty lofty goals around generosity. And I just wanted to talk a little bit more about how you came to setting those goals initially and where you stand today. And what went into that kind of transformation? Yeah. So this is a really passionate area for me because I've lived it up close and personal for the last 15 years, but with the last two years being the loudest within this whole element and, and principle, we'll say. And, you know, I, I think there's pros and cons with every personality trait. And if you go into the Enneagram and you study that and, and, Frankly, if you study it quite extensively and you really get to know yourself and also those closest to you, such as your spouse, it's pretty radical and and radical in a good way, but it's also radical in a bad way from the standpoint of now that you know this truth, what are you going to do about it? And so for me, with my personality trait, in addition to the fact that I'm a visionary, for the last 15 years, everything's been big. And, you know, the, the typical BHAG, big, hairy, audacious goal, like everything's been huge. And like, I want to do this and I want to do that specific to your question. I want to write a million dollar check to the church every single year. And I want an asset base that's going to allow me to do that so that I can continue to perpetuate and hopefully continue to grow that amount over time. And I lived in that world. And and I'm not saying that's bad. We we have to have ambitious goals. We are called as Christians to have ambitious goals. But when it is your idol, as it was for me, which I did not realize this until about a year and a half, two years ago, it can be more destructive than it is constructive. And you're chasing something that is, it's seemingly altruistic and it's seemingly good, but at the end of the day, it's not. It's it's pulling you out of alignment from God further and further the longer that you go down that road. And so for me, it took a you know shaking of the shoulders moment, uh, stripping a lot of things away to realize, hey, number one, you need to surrender X, Y, and Z to the Lord before he can actually start doing his work through you. And it's not actually about giving a million dollars to the church every single year. It's about that person that's right down the road from you that's been struggling with X, Y, and Z, and you haven't even talked to him. So how is, how is a million dollars to the church going to help with that? And it was really going through and just understanding that while my heart was wanting something so big, the one half of it was, and the other half was like, well, I'm doing the math and I'm a smart guy. And I know that 
if, if it's a 10% tithe, I'm sitting on 10 million. I'm stoked about that. <laughs> and we're going to have a great life, you know? And th- those were the things that in my deepest heart, when I was sitting, you know, in devotion with the Lord, whenever it was, that's what kept track in my mind. And it, it was very rare that it was actually centered around other people. And it was more so about myself. And I just kept justifying it. And I was like, Hey, Lord, if, if we have this, then man, that million dollars can just do so good. And I'm going to go make this decision. And I think, I think that's where you want me, but I don't really know. And so I'm just going to leave this prayer or conversation with you. And I'm just going to move forward because I feel like that's, you know, there's nothing standing in my way and I'm just going to keep going. And it, it wasn't until recently that it was more of an inversion of, I'm going to follow this road and Lord, I just really hope you bless it. Or I'm asking for blessing versus ground zero saying, Lord, I'm not going to make a step, a single step until I know that this is exactly your will and exactly where you want me. And it goes back to the whole seek first. That that's sentence and that verse has been so critical over the last couple of years to truly understanding what does actually seek first mean? And how do I seek first in everything? Like the part of my day, you know, the, the thought process that I have when I immediately wake up, when my brain turns on my money, just my interactions with people, my relationships, like which ones am I prioritizing over others? Cause everything's a give and take in life, whether it's financial or spiritual or uh, relational or time, it, it's all like something's going to suffer in one area and, and another is going to be prioritized. So what are you prioritizing? Yeah. I love how you phrased that. And as I think just kind of about the life of Jesus, I don't know if he would call them goals. He had more like a defined, very in tune with purpose of his life. He knew exactly what he was here for. And it was huge. You know, like he's led the most radical life of anybody that's ever lived. But even in that context, over and over through the New Testaments and through the Gospels, we see him like walking through a crowd and then focusing on the single person that stops him and focusing on individual people that he's with. And as you were sharing that, it just reminded me of that. You know, it's easy to focus on these huge lofty goals, but there are people and relationships all around us. And we can miss those if we're so focused on these big things. And on this podcast, we talk a lot about the idea of being able to be radically generous and give a lot and you know, big lofty goals like that. And I think the perspective that you share is so important in that context of you can't get lost in that also, or you can miss a lot of what Christ is inviting us into relationally and in in the things around us. I'm kind of curious as you have walked through this, and I want to get a lot more into what this process has been like for you, but how would you recommend somebody kind of balance that idea? You know, somebody that has a big vision or purpose that they're kind of following and trying to go after, like you talked about with wanting to be able to give a million dollars a year. How do you balance something like that without missing the everyday kind of things that God invites us into? Yeah, that's such a good question. And I think all of us are always in learning mode on this. You know, this is a a lifelong pursuit along with many other spiritual disciplines. And we need to understand a reality, which is something we know. I'm just, I'm just stating it for the sake of stating it, but building the kingdom takes money. You know, the world operates in a currency and it does take financial resources to do things, to reach people 
to travel to the other side of the world. Like there's a reality with it and we need radically generous people to make sure that that continues to happen. And we're, we're also foolish if we go against what God wants to happen and try and move our own agenda forward. God's going to accomplish what he wants to accomplish, whether it's through you or through someone else. It's how is your heart positioned? So I think the, the, the biggest lesson that I've learned through all of this is you have to be in alignment with God, with your big, amazing goals and dreams. And if it doesn't start there and you have a sense and you know that you're out of alignment, you've got to get right with God and specifically with what his will is for that mission or vision that you've been given. And that every single day, there's just these small calibrations that keep you rooted in that because we all know this, but a day out of a discipline can then turn to two pretty easily, can then turn to an entire week to now you're at a month to now it's a year. And we know how we get older, years seem to go faster and faster. And those little daily slips, just like with Satan, it's it's all the little things. It's not the big things that he does. It's these little, tiny, little paper cuts that just add up over time. And it's the same thing in our heart. If, if we're going day by day by day by day, and those just feed into months and years, and it slowly at a time pulls us away from his alignment of what he wants this, this big vision to be and these resources to be, then you're going to be off the mark by miles and miles when you look back a couple years. And so really, frankly, it's every single day starting it off aligning with even down to your time and how, how is your time being used within the uh, constraints of your schedule? Like, is this advancing what you believe the vision to be? And then Lord, is this vision still what I believe it to be? And, you know, looking for validation points along the way and having those Holy Spirit promptings where you know that, you know, from a discernment standpoint, this might not be the best decision or this isn't really rooted in in the Lord's will or, you know, just th- very simple things like that that we take for granted. And I think that'll be the theme of, you know, what you hear from me is I've been such a big picture thinker that I missed all the small things. And the reality is it's all the small things that really, really matter. Like they really do. Yeah, you talked about kind of slowly getting out of alignment in those early years of building some of these businesses and then God shaking you back into alignment. I was wondering if you could go a little bit more into that process, how he actually did that in your life. Yeah, so essentially it goes back to what's what's your vision versus God's. And so the shaking for me was continual thinking that my successes as an entrepreneur were just going to get bigger and better and Um, more fulfilling. And at the end of the day, in a weird way, they were getting worse and worse. And they were getting worse and worse by the more effort and energy I put in, the less fulfilled I got, the faster my tank drained, the more it took for me to get back to a position where I felt happy and excited. And like I was doing something aligned with the Lord and on mission and on purpose. And it just, it kept getting worse and worse, that feeling. And so it was, it was just a rude awakening moment of, Hey, you actually don't have full control. And here's, what's interesting. This was at a point in time where these emotions and scenarios were playing out where I looked at what my entrepreneurial career was going to be. And it, it actually was different than what I was thinking it was going to be. And all of that was laying the way for the wedding venue business for COVID. (laughs) and if those things had not happened, I would literally be telling you a personal bankruptcy story right now because of how fast the velocity 
changed in the wedding industry times multiple units times how fast that that cash flow didn't just go to zero it went to negative because people were asking for their deposits back like all these things happened in a sequence of events to allow that business to continue to succeed in spite of me being there and allowed me to do what i needed to do which was work on my heart the most that i've ever had to do in my entire life and get my priorities straight. So going to the discernment piece, it was this discernment knowing that something was not right. There was something not right in my heart. There was something not right in my life. I just couldn't put my finger on it. And it was a prayer that I had. So this was about, let's say, October of 2019. There was a prayer that I had started going into my 33rd year, which was August of 2019. And I felt a lot of emotion around that because of the year of Christ and I started thinking about all these things that I hadn't accomplished over three years because I could see 30 because it was close enough. And I was like, man, I just spent the last three years literally living Ecclesiastes of everything is meaningless. I'm like, what what have I done? Like I look at Christ and I see what he did in three years of ministry. And here I am three years of my life. And I could literally not tell you of anything of importance that had happened, like zero. And it was that moment where I started praying going into that. I forget when it was. It was probably June or July leading up to it. But it was more so this feeling of knowing something was off. It wasn't quite intense yet, but it was a basic prayer of, of Lord, light the fire, you know, fan into flame just this desire that's within me and start to reveal the things that I can't even say. You know, that's like the Holy Spirit interceding. Like the things I can't even put into words because I don't know what they are, but I know that it's not right. There's something wrong there. And it obviously with the Lord, it doesn't happen overnight. It's always on his timing. But that basic seed of, I still don't even know what to call it. Um, it wasn't discontentment. It wasn't unfulfilled dreams or anything. It wasn't, you know, it's really, really challenging to put into words. It was just something around knowing that my entrepreneurial journey wasn't panning out like I thought it was going to. My days were filled with more anxiety and negative emotions than they were positive emotions. I had this altruistic view of helping people, yet I went through every single day not helping a single person, you know, and, and working with employees and that sort of thing, but not giving my time. We've always tithed and you know given away money, but it wasn't in the outward actions that this was happening. So that just continued to build from June to July to August to then October to that moment to then just that shakening of breaking me down to the basic level where I could finally fully surrender to understand what are the things that I actually need to work on? What are the, the sins and what are the idols that I've created that I'm not seeing? And I believe, I truly believe, and there are some books that I've been reading very recently, actually, that have been the exclamation point to this. Uh, one is The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. I truly believe that we can very easily, and entrepreneurs, we're susceptible probably the most out of any occupation that I can think of, but we can so easily let so much noise creep into our life that we cannot actually hear the Lord's voice. And what we think is the Lord's voice is not. And for me, that's that's what was that's what had happened. And that's what was revealed once everything was really stripped away is, you know, there were certain idols that I had, particularly around trying to get to this number of giving away a million dollars to the church every year. And I wrapped up more personal ambition 
and selfish gain in that than I actually did the altruistic piece of it and the, the generosity piece of it. And just really getting to the point of understanding that in order to build up, the Lord had to build down to work on that foundation to improve the quality of whatever was to come, whether conversations, potential mentorship opportunities, both with like other couples, other married couples and other entrepreneurs. Like I really had to get down to understand what went wrong, what really went wrong in this pursuit of entrepreneurship and, you know, financial gain and financial generosity and all of these things. Where did I get off from a calibration standpoint? Because like I said, it's all these little, little things and you don't see it until you're standing there 15 years later and you're like, what the heck? I did not intend to go down this path. I wanted to be over here. And how did I get so far off? I think I heard you coin a new term in there, shakening. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. And I have a feeling it's coming for me to be shaken awake. But, uh, you know, we, we've talked at the finish line pledge here. We are all about designing your life, all aspects of your life around obedience and and aligning your heart with God's will for your life. And we just dive really deep in the area of finances. So, it, you know, it's it's implementing a structure and very intentionally every day making that decision to go along with what we understand from scripture. And I think that can sound a little radical the first time you hear it to say, oh, we're just going to draw a line uh, on what we need. We're going to define what we need. And everything above that, we don't need. It's God's money anyway, and we want to use it for God's purpose. But when you really dive into scripture, and there's tons and tons, uh, as you know, about wealth and money and, and managing money, it doesn't seem that radical. It seems almost obvious that that's something that you might do. But I saw you posting on LinkedIn. The first was uh, I ran a 5K every day for a year, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and that was like, wow, that's, that's challenging. I, I watched the video and then uh, it wasn't too much longer after that that you posted another video that really caught my attention. And I, I remember saying to myself, wow, that's different. And I called Keelan up and I said, hey, uh, this guy that I met years ago just posted something that I can't get off my brain. I got to reach out to him. And I was just hoping you could share what that video was and how you got to that point and what, what you've learned since making that video. Yeah. So I feel like the biggest transformation that had happened for me personally within everything that I just laid out over the sequence of about a year was this, I don't want to call it view on money because I've always looked at money as a tool. You know, I've always looked at it from a business mindset that it really is, it's an asset and you can use that asset to generate other things. You can generate liabilities with it, both from a time management standpoint, like let's just say buying the car that you've always wanted. You can take cash and you can go do that, but is it going to be more of a liability to you? Are you going to be worried about it more than you're going to be enjoying it? You know, just a, a different outlook from, from that standpoint. So I've always looked at money as a tool, but it wasn't until I finally had this moment of truly living the verse that talks about the birds don't have to worry about what to eat. So why do you, why do you worry about putting clothes on your back and the food that you're going to eat when I'm God and I'm going to take care of you no matter what, like, why are you worrying so much about this? It, it was that moment that I had where I was just like, why am I worried about this? Like, I know that I have, I have an awesome college degree. I went to Notre Dame and got an MBA. 
I know I can produce amazing results, whether it's marketing or sales or building your business or whatever. Like I can do these things. You can't take that part away from me. I can always go do that. But if I'm tied up in this money aspect and what it's you know designed to do, and I'm using it in the wrong way, it's going to output more negative results than it is positive. And <laughs> it was that moment where my wife and I looked at each other and I was like, I, I think we need to sell all of our stuff. I, I think the Lord's like really saying we need to just, we need to take those assets and get rid of them and turn it into an asset that we can use for the next year. And I don't know what that is yet, but this is just what I'm feeling. And then it was kind of the deer in the headlight stare from both of us. Like, are we, are we hearing this right? Is this really what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> and it was, through that obedience that it was just like one thing at a time. It was, so it was that small nudge that happened that then started us looking through our closet. We're like, okay, let's start with clothes. So I get all my clothes out. I love Notre Dame polos. They're my favorite. I have like, I don't even know how many, a lot. (laughs) And I also love button up shirts and I had every plaid variation you could possibly have. And it's like, why do you need that many shirts? So we started there and my wife Bless her heart. She uh, gets on Facebook Marketplace and she just starts listing these. And she's listing it for like 20% less than what you'd buy it brand new. And people are buying it. We're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Our used clothes are selling for almost what they would new. And the best part, we've, we've never liked buying stuff full retail with clothes. So we always buy everything on sale. And in, in a lot of cases, we actually made money on the sale of a, a clothing item, which was quite outrageous. And she just starts tracking it in an Excel spreadsheet. So we're just selling stuff and you know tracking it in the sheet, just keeping keeping track of what we're selling. And about a month goes by, she's like, "Hey, do you know how much we sold?" I'm like, "I don't know, thousand bucks." She's like, "No, we sold four thousand dollars worth of stuff." I'm like, "What? I, I I don't even feel any different. Like there's still stuff everywhere. What's going on?" And so then we keep taking inventory of you know what's in our house, and we just keep moving through things. And so we were renting a house at the time because we were, we had just moved to Nashville. Um, this was our second year there after opening our wedding venue in the Nashville area, we were going to open a second venue, but do it on more of a like country setting on a property, do kind of a barn thing. So we're trying to figure out where we wanted to buy land and all that. So we were just renting, you know, trying to get the lay of the land. And we knew that our lease was coming up in, in November of 2020. And so this, this all started about, I don't know, it's like, july or august of 2020 and that just kind of kept going and basically in the back of our minds we're like well let's just let's just thin down our stuff because we've you know been working on all this legwork of getting detached from things and valuing people and and experiences and uh, just interactions and relationships more than we do going and buying the next x y or z so we'd already been in that mode and we just kind of kept going with it and then we get to the end of august and getting into September, the first couple of weeks there. And we're like, we really need to know what we're doing because we know we have to move out of this house. We know there's, you know, a, a variety of things we could go do. We felt some early promptings on what we thought it was. And very long story short, we, we had started a dog treat brand called Nashies in early 2020, right? As the pandemic was, was getting, you know, rearing its head. And we knew we wanted to give hundred percent of the profit away to an organization and we just weren't sure really what it was. And by May of 2020, we had really connected the dots and we had been serving with Nash, who's our therapy dog 
in hospitals and just after school programs and stuff around Nashville. And we had just experienced so much radical fulfillment, which is a whole other episode about what a dog's true purpose on this earth is. But it was just so much fulfillment through what we were doing that we knew we had to support these organizations in whatever way we could. And in true entrepreneurial fashion, we were like, why don't we just start this dog treat brand and we can give away all the profit and it'll be amazing. And, you know, it'll be just a really fun thing to do. And we built that and launched it and it was going well. And then that's when the prompting kind of started around, Hey, this isn't really just a money problem. This is actually a a time issue and the world is in such a broken place right now. And, you know, this is, let's call it May or June of 2020. And there's so much fear. The fear is overrunning the truth of where we need to be rooted spiritually and just everything around that. And the first prompting around this was like, what if we, you know, since we're in this mode of selling everything, what if we got an RV and we did what we've always wanted to do, which is travel the U.S. in an RV. Everybody always romanticizes about it. And what if we lived that life for a year and that little seed of a feeling then turned to, oh my gosh, what if, what if we sold everything? What if we got an RV? And what if we shared our experience of how radically changed we've been with Nash in serving with him as a therapy dog? And then that kept building. And the theme of our life is it's all these little small doors that open and all these giant ones that slam shut in our face. (laughs) And so it was all these little small doors that kept opening. And then it finally became, Oh my gosh, we're selling all of our stuff. We're getting an RV. We're going to tour the country. We're going to share how much we've been radically changed by serving with Nash. But Oh my gosh, this is such an incredible opportunity to witness to people that are hurting to show them that there's a never ending love that never ceases that you can put your trust in Jesus. And in moments of, despair and catastrophes and global pandemics. He has such a bigger picture for each and every one of us than what we can see right in front of us right now. And it was just like these little things that kept going. And so to bring that full circle, you know, we had these little promptings that started early 2020 to just sell some shirts. So we start doing that and we just obediently kind of step forward and recognizing these feelings and acting on them. I think that was the key is we, we didn't just feel them. We acted on them. And then because we were obedient, God was so good in showing us, hey, this is actually bigger than what you think. And you have no idea what's coming. And we still don't. Like, we're just here doing what we're doing. We're truly believing that there's going to be something amazing that comes out of what we're doing this year. And it's just these little series of steps that just one at a time. But here's the thing. Going back to what I said earlier, I'm a big thinker. It's always these big visions and these big things. And what I've seen loud and clear the last 18 months of my life it's all the small things. It's all the little things that when our life is quiet or at least, you know, as quiet as we can get it, we can hear from him and we can see what those steps are very clearly. And there's no guesswork. We know that we're aligned with this will and that we're moving forward and that we're able to continue to do that. Yeah. I love how you guys just act out of one step of obedience at a time. And I completely agree with the fact that that's how God works in our lives. And he never likes to give us the full picture. He is always just giving us one step at a time. And it's all about trusting that he he has the vision in his head. And if we just act in obedience, then he will bring us into that story that he's writing. I'm kind of curious, you know, from you've had this year of that's been, I guess, significantly different than the last number of years for you. And 
as you've seen God putting those little pieces together one at a time, what do you kind of see over the next year or two? Well, so I'll speak to the foundation that I think has been reconstructed, we'll say. I'm trying to have more of a positive outlook on on the pruning process. <laughs> so the foundation that's been reconstructed is there's a few things. So the first is that essentially generous giving needs to have a plan and a strategy. You can't be sporadic with it. And actually recently, ironically, a couple of weeks ago at our church, part of the sermon was kind of about this. And it was basically this idea that when your giving is sporadic, and this is where you kind of have to take that heart check moment. When your giving is sporadic, and it's just kind of tied to maybe emotion, it doesn't always have to be, but it's just kind of like here and there. Maybe you do your 10% tithe, and that's just an automatic withdrawal. And then you're just kind of randomly giving here and there. Whenever something comes up, you know, you're like, hey, yeah, if this comes up, yeah, I'll give to it. If it's highly sporadic and not planned, then it might be out of more guilt than it is actual generous giving. And I think that's where we really have to be honest with ourselves and we really have to seek the Lord's wisdom around, you know, am I truly being generous with this? So that for me was a huge learning this past year, which then I believe is going to help with our future. And for me personally, it really came in the form of it wasn't true generous giving if it didn't have some time equation linked to it. Because for me, time has been the most hard thing for me to give. And I don't know why. I'm still figuring that out. Like, I don't know for me why it's so much more easy for me to literally give a $100 bill to someone that's on the side of the road. I could do that, you know, instantly and feel good about it. But then to go spend a half an hour with somebody where I might have some pressing time commitments that are either behind that or in front of it, that my mind and my attention's not really there. So for me, it's really just been checking my heart to make sure that this is true, generous living. And I think because of that, then it's that lesson <laughs> then has played out in now I have nothing but time. And that's what's been so amazing is we can choose where to give it. So then going back to the giving strategy, you can actually start to frame, okay, where am I giving my time and where am I giving my money? And so uh, Christina and I figured out was we needed a giving strategy and we needed to define that in words that we could understand and that words that we could implement every single day. So we have three categories where we do this and this all builds towards, you know, what does the next two to three years look like? So the first one is, is uh, serving the poor. The second one is seeking the lost. And then the third is strengthening believers. So in the way that we framed it is like, okay, if we're going to give time and money, we've broken it down to these three categories so that if something comes inbound, we can figure out where to categorize it. And in a weird way, like what priority level to give it. And so by priority level, I mean, you know, how much money can we actually dedicate to this or how much time can we dedicate to this? And does it align with our core values as a family that we've set? And ultimately, is this kingdom building work or is it guilt giving or is it, you know, X, Y, or Z? Like what's our true heart check on what we're doing? So because we've had that reconstruction of the foundation, now looking forward, we can see opportunities that would come our way and identify where to categorize them and how it's going to play out in our life. So while I don't have the exact answer, because we're literally in the process of following one step at a time. And for the first time in my life, I have so much peace about not worrying what's in the next five years. But what I can tell you is I know that 
the outlook and the view that I have on business and the way that I believe business models can generate recurring revenue and recurring cash flow to be very generous with, that's what I'm interested in doing in the future. And I don't have an inkling of idea what that is. I don't know if it's our dog treat brand, you know, blowing up and becoming a multi-million dollar brand. I can tell you it's not even close to that right now. <laughs> and we're delighted with it. I mean, it's just, it's so amazing, but I don't know what it is. And I know that's probably not the best answer, but it's just where we are, you know, on this journey right now. It's, it's not really worrying about that. And it's looking one step in front of the other and knowing that this next year, or roughly, you know, we're into March, nine months, that we have a specific mission to share the love of Christ through our dog Nash and do it across the country in an RV. We're almost out of time here, but for any of our listeners who are really interested in the work that you're doing today, ongoing, how can they keep up with you and the Pause for Love Tour? So we have two social channels that we're using extensively. The first one is Instagram. And my wife's built an awesome community there over the last about five years. And it's called Daily Barker, which is D-A-I-L-Y-B-A-R-K-E-R. And then it's the same thing on YouTube. And YouTube, we're doing weekly episodes that we roll out every single Sunday. So it's somewhat entertainment, but there's some educational pieces in there too, if you're interested in, in the therapy dog stuff and how we serve and all of that. But we promise to keep you entertained. And we've been coining it digital therapy is what we're trying to create online. So feel good content that leaves you just feeling good and you know positive and that sort of thing. That's so awesome. But before we finish up here, I just wanted to get to our manager minute for today. Every week we try to share one quick idea for something that you can give to right now with any money that you've set aside to give away. And when we have guests on the show, we like to take the chance to hear one of their ideas. So Sean, do you have any good suggestions for how we or our listeners could be using excess money that God gives us to manage? Yes. So I think there's there's two things here that I want to cover. So the first is I actually want to completely change it from a financial equation, which I know is the whole point of the podcast, and talk about time because it's been the most difficult thing for me to do is give time. And so what my question would almost be, how can you build some extra margin into a day, just starting with your day, to give away your time to someone who desperately needs it. So it can come in a lot of forms. It could come in the form of maybe it's just somebody down the street from you in your, in your neighborhood that needs an extra 15 minutes of conversation because their son or daughter is really struggling in school and not getting to see their friends or play sports this year or go to prom. Maybe they're a senior and they missed out on two years of a prom, you know, just where can you go invest 15 minutes in somebody and just looking for those opportunities every day. And then those days will turn into weeks and then those weeks will turn into months and I can promise you, because I've been the person that didn't value that, now I value that more than I do giving money. I'm like, I'm trying to find opportunities. Where can I just go spend 30 minutes with somebody where I would have never done that before? Secondly, specific to the, the money side, is I truly believe that building your strategy of giving and knowing where you want to give it to is very helpful in helping with this excess. Because I'm sure most people listening to the podcast are in financial positions where they have the ability to give over and above what they make. And so you're always going to have these opportunities. It's not going to be just this one off of, Hey, I have this excess this one time. How am I going to deal with it now? You need to build the discipline into your life to know what those guardrails are. That's one of the things I love the most about the finish line pledge is that 
you can establish those guardrails and you can have that discipline built in so that you know where to give that access and you continue to do it every time it comes up. So areas that I look for personally, and I actually just did this a couple of days ago, is where can you bless somebody that's like totally unexpected and they're just going to leave the circumstance? Like I always look for that head tilt moment. Like that was interesting. So we're traveling a lot and I haven't been able to have a consistent hairdresser, which I know sounds ridiculous, but there's some beauty in having like the same person cut your hair, you know, throughout the year and to have to change that and go to a different person every three weeks. It's kind of weird, but you know, if, if I'm used to paying a certain amount for a haircut and because I go to a new area, they charge less. Why not give the same amount that you're used to paying or establish what that is, which is like, what if every haircut's a hundred dollars? Okay. Well, if you go somewhere and it's 18, then you just bless that person, whatever, $82, you know, additional than they were used to. Same thing. It's like kind of that head tilt moment. Like, huh, that's, that's never happened. I wasn't really used to doing that. Same thing with your waitresses and waiters, same kind of thing. So my encouragement would just be find an area that's a little out there that you wouldn't quite think of and just find a way to bless somebody. Yeah, I love that so much. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for for taking the time to be on the show with us today. We really enjoyed hearing, and I'm I'm sure we just scratched the surface of of what's going on in your life, but uh, we really appreciate you being here today. Well, thanks for having me on. And again, thanks for everything you guys are doing. We, We need more of this content out there. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the show, guys. If you have questions about setting a financial finish line or anything else you heard on the show today, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us on Instagram at finishlinepledge through our website at finishlinepledge.com or by email at hello at finishlinepledge.com. Send us any questions you have and we'll answer them on one of our future episodes. Even better, join the conversation on the Finish Line forums. There you can discuss your thoughts about recent episodes and ask questions about the Finish Line process. We also post our upcoming episode topics so we can hear your thoughts about each topic and hear specifically what you want us to discuss on the show. Check it out at finishlinepledge.com slash forum. And as always, if you want to find any of our references or links from today's show, you can find them in our show notes at finishlinepledge.com slash episode 16. That's all for today. We'll see you next week.